0: I told you last week I was watching The Hiding Place with my wife, and interesting, at one point, as, as uh, Corey ten Boom and her sister Betsy are being carted off to a horrible prison situation, they managed to smuggle in one of those tiny little New Testaments, and they got down to where they literally had nothing. Even in their hopes and dreams, all they could hope and dream for was the next day's ration of soup, but they had the word. They had the word. It was said to me, and unbelievably, I heard this actually spoken last week that Jesus never did Bible studies. Really? Can I just say to you that when you are the word, you are a Bible study? That as you walk and you talk, and in the three years of Jesus' ministry, every word that proceeded from his mouth was of God. He is a Bible study and we see also in the first century church what is it that they focus on Acts chapter 2 tells us the apostles teaching the breaking of bread fellowship and prayer and what was the apostles teaching it was Bible study what is so important what's the big deal about Bible study gang in the word when we open it up God speaks to us we draw closer to him we're encouraged by him We, we get vision for where we're going Understanding for the life in which we're living. Peace about the things of the past. His word is so powerful that I appreciate what what Frank said that Jesus is our teacher. He's our rabbi. He's the one we're listening to when we open up the word. And that's why we're, we're so bent on just walking through the word and listening to the teachings of the Bible. Because it's God's word. And God says, my word that I send forth from me will not come back to me empty. And let me tell you something. It doesn't depend on the pastor who's teaching. What it depends on is the ears. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I ask you this morning, do you have an ear to hear the word? Do you have an ear? If you've got an ear, even just one hanging off of your head, then God would say, listen up, I want to speak to you. We'll be in Numbers chapter 5, but 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 tells us, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it is not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And listen, everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Father, we pray this morning for purification. We ask that as we study your word that you would purify us. For Lord, we come before you as a defiled people. It's amazing, Father. I can step one foot away from Bible study, away from time with you and instantaneously be defiled by my thoughts, by the things that proceed out of my mouth, by my behaviors, my attitudes, my speculations, my judgment of other people. Father, we come before you as a people who recognize we can't keep this defilement out but you can Lord purify us just as you're pure cleanse us Father forgive us as we confess to you even as we study and read this morning as we confess to you the darkness of our hearts the sin nature that we battle day in and day out Father purify us with your word today In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Numbers chapter 5. It's all about purification. We skipped it on Wednesday night. We had finished chapters 3 and 4 the week before. And then this last Wednesday we skipped right on by chapter 5 to go to chapter 6. Why? Because as I studied these two chapters, the Lord made it clear that He wanted everybody to hear what chapter 5 has to teach. Especially the last section. It's going to blow your mind. It's very odd. Very unique. Before I say anything else about that, gang, John tells us in the verse that we read that purification, purification in the Christian walk comes about as we fix our eyes on the prize. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we await His coming, as we long for His return, we become purified day in and day out. He changes us. He does in us what we cannot do. Please hear me on that. We cannot do it. We cannot purify ourselves, but He is pure. And He can do it. And He can take hold of our lives and do that which we cannot do. Now in the book of Numbers so far, we've seen the first four chapters are all about organization. God organizes the people into their tribes And into their camps And this is how they're going to march This is how they're going to camp out Around the tabernacle And then he goes on to organize the priests These are their jobs Their roles in the tabernacle How they're going to handle things And carry the different furniture And the poles And all of the things that pertain to the tabernacle Numbers 1 through 4 It's all about organization And then we get to Skipping ahead to number 6 And we talked about this Wednesday And it's all about consecration It's called the law of the Nazarite. If you want to be a Nazarite, that is someone who is set apart to the Lord. Set apart for a specific role with the Father. Set apart to ministry. That's consecration. But, as will amaze you, chapter 6 always comes after chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we see that it's all about purification. Why does 6 follow 5? Well, it's not just a numbers thing. Purification always precedes Consecration. God wants our hearts pure before we begin to step into roles of spiritual leadership, of ministry, of shepherding, of caring for the rest of God's people. He wants purification. Purification. Now we'll go on later in chapter 7 through 10 and deal with the final preparation before the Israelites head out. But today it's all about purification. What does that mean? Purification. Well, for our study today, I'm going to give you three things. And you can follow this as an outline this morning. Number one, purification means to clean out the camp. Clean out the camp. Number two, purification means to confess. But not just confess, confess and make compensation for sins. And number three, purification simply means to come to the tabernacle of grace. If you're taking notes, it means to clean out the camp. To confess and make compensation for sin and to come to the tabernacle of grace. Now we'll spend most of our time in that third section, coming to the tabernacle of grace. In the last part of chapter 5, where you're going to see a fascinating passage, gang, it's a lie detector test for adultery. If a husband is not sure whether or not maybe his wife has had an affair behind his back, he's not sure, he doesn't have concrete proof. Well, the Lord gives here, unbelievably, a lie detector test for adultery. Here's what you do, husband. Here's what you do. Bring the wife. And you can check out and see and know if, in fact, she's been sneaking around behind your back. It almost reads like a Harry Potter movie. And you'll see when we get there. You're going to wonder, why does the Lord direct the Israelites to make a special mixture and give it to the woman and cause her to drink this special mixture? You'll wonder, does the mixture really work? Is this like some kind of a spiritual potion that God has come up with that actually works? Most of all, you ladies will probably wonder, why is it always the woman? We'll get there. But first, let's back up a bit and consider God's invitation to purification. Number one, clean out the camp. If you want to be purified, clean out the camp. Now, one last thing I must tell you, this is a post-salvation issue. What do you mean? The Israelites are already saved at this point. The moment they stepped foot out of Egypt, they were a saved people. They were not purified. They were not consecrated. They weren't even really organized up to this point. But they were saved. Something we've got to grasp and understand in God's economy is salvation is something He does and He does alone. You don't do it. I don't do it. A lot of people get confused about that. They think, well, church is about, i got to get myself pure. i got to get myself righteous and holy. Then I come to God and say, what do you think? Can I get in? Then He says, not based on what you've done, but I love you. I'll save you. You can get in on my grace. Don't ever forget that. Especially as we talk about things like cleaning out the camp. As we talk about things you can do as a Christian to be more pure in the eyes of the Lord. Understand your purification comes after your salvation. Salvation is a gift of God and a gift alone. So why would I want purification? Well, verse 1 of Numbers chapter 5. The Lord spoke to Moses saying... Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper, and everyone having a discharge, and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. We studied all these things in the book of Leviticus. You shall send away both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp, so that they will not defile their camp, where I dwell in their midst." And the sons of Israel did so and sent them outside the camp, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses, thus the sons of Israel did. What's the point? Driving these people outside of the camp? Well, leprosy was defiling. Discharges of all manner. We're not going to talk about those this morning. Leviticus chapter 15. Have a field day if you want to study that. It's very bizarre. But those things that defile a person, those people are to be sent outside of the camp so that the camp is pure. Why? I, I, what's the deal here? Okay, listen. God's desire with Israel and His desire for us is to reside in the midst of the camp. To reside right in the middle of His people. But for God to do that, we have got to clean out the camp. If you wonder in your life, in your spiritual walk, why at times God's distant from you, maybe you want to check the defilement meter in your life. What am I doing? What choices have I made that would drive God's Spirit away? Listen, Jesus says in Matthew 15, 18, The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, and murders, and adulteries, and fornications, and thefts, false witness, and slanders. These are the things, Jesus says, which defile the man. And God calls us to clean out these defilements, get them out of the camp. Why? Because, as John tells us in 1 John 1, God is light. God is light. There's a very simple spiritual principle here, gang. Perfect light will not and cannot reside where there is darkness. And so for God to reside, to be present in our our hearts, He wants us to clean out the defilement. Now His blood does that. Again, in our salvation, his redeeming blood purifies us, cleanses us. But he wants us to remain clean before him, that he can reside there. This is the message, Sean says, we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him Yet walk in the darkness We lie And do not practice the truth Anybody done that? I've got fellowship with God I'm a Christian Yeah, I'm a believer And yet our life speaks otherwise John would say You're lying You're lying to yourself. You're lying to others. You're not speaking truth. But, he says, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. We can't clean out the camp. But if we walk openly, if we will walk in the light, willing to acknowledge our defilements before the Lord, God can cleanse us. Now, gang, there are a lot of people who claim Christianity, who are walking in defilement, by choice, people who are trying to have it both ways, blew me away, Uh, a girl in my daughter's, Anna Cortes, middle school homeroom class, and she sits beside her, uh, claims to be bisexual. Middle school. I didn't even know what that was in middle school. I was still messing around with Legos you know what I mean? just didn't get it bisexual I figured there was a man and a woman I, you know I didn't know Too, anyway we were talking about this just the other day and yet what's amazing is not only would this junior high kid who is hardly even old enough to truly understand sexuality claim to be bisexual but she also claims to be a Christian
1: it doesn't work
0: It doesn't work You cannot have both You cannot be one thing And claim to be another Listen gang Grace God's grace His purification in our lives Is never a license for sin His grace is my salvation And if I die at this moment Man I'm going to heaven Praise the Lord However It doesn't mean I can do whatever I want Live however I want Behave in any way that I want Grace is not licensed for open rebellion. Let me ask you, what are you unwilling to clean out? What is there in the camp of your personal life that you are unwilling to let go of? that you're saying no, Everything else fine. This is mine. I will not let it go. Have you considered your DVD collection lately? Ever just sit down and kind of go through it and think, how many of these would I watch with Jesus? Maybe you have a personal addiction. Maybe some of you men especially are struggling with internet pornography or gambling or even internet gaming that takes precedence over the Lord. Or maybe it's just as simple as your mouth. And i got to say this, friends. I've heard words spoken in this barn that honestly make my skin crawl. I've heard words said by Christians and I just... You know, you do the double take. I'm not talking about when you hit your thumb with the hammer and you lose control and sin comes out. I'm just talking casual conversation. Bleep this and bleep that. And it's okay because we're all in the Lord together. We understand each other, right? We're all Christians. I'm just laid back in my faith. You can't have it both ways. Clean out the camp clean out the camp Paul says Ephesians 5 verse 3 immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you Paul was so serious about this he says don't even use phrases like your pastor just used bisexual don't even name it avoid any of these impurities these immoralities he says it's it's proper among the saints that none of this be named that there be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting Coarse jesting. How many jokes do we tell that's they're just coarse. They're just unholy. They're just not worth even laughing at much less speaking. Paul says these things are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And someone would say, hey, come on, man, back off. I've got grace. And again I say, grace is not license to sin. That wonderful gift of God's grace. You know, I don't believe a a single one of us would stand at the foot of the cross, look up at Jesus, broken and bleeding and dying there, and say, Thanks a lot, Lord. Now I can relax in my sin because I got your grace. It wouldn't happen. We would never approach Jesus that way. And here's a thought, by the way, when it comes to language and things that we say. Speak no words that you couldn't speak at the foot of the cross. Consider what we say. And say it. As though we were before Jesus and His great sacrifice. It would change a lot of what we say. It would change a lot of our gossip. It would change our slanderous comments. It would change our view of other people if we looked through Jesus first. I'll tell you what blesses the Father. It's those blood-bought, saved and sealed Christians who have freedom in Christ but give up that freedom because they desire to be slaves of righteousness instead. Well, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. Paul says, I've got freedom. I can do in Christ anything that I want because I'm saved by grace. However, I choose to hand it over. I choose to be a slave instead. Romans 6.19 Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Resulting in sanctification. He says, now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit. Resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. And I'm not talking about living some dour, monastic, legalistic, sour-faced, down-in-the-mouth religion. It's not supposed to be a drag. If you don't believe me, watch Kelly during worship. When the girl gets into it. Sometimes I'm afraid to smile, is just going to bust right off her face and get all over the stage. The joy of the Lord. The joy that comes from a heart that is given over to the slavery of righteousness, purification, gang, it leads to what Peter calls a joy inexpressible. Joy inexpressible. I'll tell you what, outside of Christ, we have no idea what true joy is like. But in Jesus and the purification He offers, you can experience a joy unlike any other. Why? Because a pure heart, gang, and don't miss this, a pure heart resides in his abiding presence in the midst of the camp. John 14, 23. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode. Yes, sir. We will make our abode with him. Did you hear that? Jesus says, if you love me, keep my word, the Lord and I, the Father and I, are going to reside in you. We're going to pitch our tents in the middle of your camp. We're going to be right there. Isn't that fantastic? John 15, 9. Jesus went on to say, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. I love that word abide. Live in my love. Be in my love. Abide in my love, he says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now listen, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Full joy, that's what I want. The fullness of Christ's joy in me. The full awareness of the Lord's presence in the midst of my camp, in the middle of my heart, filled up to the measure of the joy of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in Him you have been made complete. Well, the word complete there is the same word as fullness used in the fullness of deity. Pleroma, you have been made full. Full. Jesus says, I want my joy to be in you so that your joy may be Full the fullness of deity dwelled in Jesus and the fullness of him can dwell in you it's all the same word full fullness complete overflowing with the presence of God in my camp so as the people prepare to leave Mount Sinai God first says clean out the camp all the defilement needs to be put on the outside that I may reside on the inside and walk with you and I'm telling you all if you desire a closer walk with Jesus clean out the camp clean it out You want to get closer to the Lord? Clean out the camp. I do have a warning here for those who desire a closer walk with God who really want to live in His daily abiding presence, who want to seek to listen to the Spirit at all times. It's going to cost you. It's not cheap. And it's not easy. And it will even cost you, listen to me, it will even cost you, don't miss this, it will even cost you in your Christian relationships what do you mean Rick 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 Paul says indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted all who desire to live godly notice what he says he doesn't say all who desire to live in Christ Jesus anyone who wants to be a Christian I know a lot of Christians who are not persecuted because they're not desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus and there is I believe a difference I believe there are people gained who are going to be saved who are just going to kind of go rolling on into heaven and they miss out in the joy inexpressible, the fullness of Christ living in them because the desire was never there to live godly in Christ Jesus. I believe it's a next step, a decision that you make. I want to walk in the Spirit every day. I want to hear from the Lord in my decisions all the time. And if you're living and walking and breathing in that way, guess what? You're going to make people uncomfortable. They're going to look at you and go... He's too spiritual. They're going to look at you and go, she's so self-righteous. And you're not. You're just desiring to walk with the Lord. Major decisions. You're making comments. Not even meaning to. Like, "I I just need to see what the Lord has to say about that. And someone else goes, just make the decision already. What's your problem? Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, if you really want the presence of God in the midst of your camp, it's going to cost you. But I'll tell you what, The compensation, the joy, is so fantastic. It's worth it. It's worth it. Well, moving on. You say, okay, I'm in. I want to get the camp clean. How do I do that? The very next thing the Lord pronounces is confession. Confession and compensation. Look at verse 5. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins of mankind, acting unfaithfully against the Lord and that person is guilty, then he shall confess his sins which he has committed. Now, we're down with that, many of us. We say, okay, I'll confess. I'll I'll share what I've committed. God goes on. And he shall make restitution in full for his wrong and add to it one-fifth of it. That's 20%. And give it to him whom he has wronged. But if the man has no relative to whom, well, hang on. Look at verse 7 again. Add 20% to it confess your sin let's say someone steals something he goes no I really shouldn't have done that ok I confess I, I, I stole it I stole you know 100 bucks from my friends God would say great thank you for the confession now go pay, the, pay your friend back 120 pay back what you took and add 20% to it what's God doing here he's trying to help the children of Israel feel their confession experience their confession it's not just loose words confession oftentimes is words that we just kind of toss out there oh I'm so sorry I did that and we go moving on and God says you didn't feel it you didn't experience it you don't really mean it and so he gave the Israelites something to help them feel that confession experience it and it's compensation God is not into empty apologies he says don't just say I'm sorry no I want you to come in contact with your confession, to experience your confession. Feel the weight of it. Verse 8 going on, he says, But if the man has no relative to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution which is made for the wrong must go to the Lord for the priest, besides the ram of atonement by which atonement is also made for him. Interesting. He says, if you don't know who to compensate. If you're wrong someone, but you're not even sure who you're wrong and who to compensate, the Lord says, that's okay. Bring 20% of the wrong and give it to the church. Oh, how easily we slip into tithing messages give it to the Lord he said you don't know how to pay it back you pay it back to the priest you pay it back to the shepherd to the one in charge by the way I, I will take cash or checks we're working on all major credit cards if you feel like you got to make compensation I'm here for you just want you to know that Dave, how does this apply to us? Because again, we're talking about things that that God is doing with Israel, trying to help these people to grow up and to mature and be purified in their faith. How does this affect us? I believe it gives us an interesting perspective on what to do if a person refuses my attempts to make a situation right. (laughs) Ever been in that kind of a situation? You've tried to make something right, but the person who you wronged or feels like you wronged them won't have it, won't respond. They're a brick wall. They won't answer phone calls. They won't return emails. They won't come back and just sit down face to face. What do you do in that situation? This is a tough verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. If you're presenting your offering at the altar and there, you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and present your offering. What do I do if my brother refuses my attempts at reconciliation what if I've tried what if I have gone to the person what if I've presented even apologies and love and desired restoration but the person will have nothing to do with it I don't want that no I'm not even talking to you what then do I just leave my gift and not go back to the altar gang I think you bring it to the Lord with 20% what's that mean you make your offering And you make your confession to the Father. If the person you wronged won't hear it, you bring it to the Lord anyway. Father, I have sinned against you in this manner. I have hurt this person in my life. I want to make it right. You alone know the situation. But Father, I confess it to you, and I am sorry. Please help this situation be restored, but give your offering to the Lord. Bring it to Him. By the way, there's an important giving principle here. Look at verse 9. Every contribution pertaining to all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they offer to the priest, shall be his. So every man's holy gifts shall be his. Whatever any man gives to the priest, it becomes his. Now understand, that's not what happens at the bridge. Every dime that goes into the offering box doesn't go to the pastor. That's not what it's for. I want you to understand this, though. There's an important giving principle here. The Lord says, hey, if you bring any offering, it goes to the priest, it's his, it's his, it's his. his. The principle is this, don't give and then ask, where's my money going? Do you realize how many politics and churches are played by people putting their check in the tithe box and then later coming around to the leadership and going, look, if you want me to continue giving to this church, We're going to support this organization or I'm out of here. And to that, I would reply, there's the door. We appreciate your giving thus far. What are you saying? Simply this, don't give and expect to maintain control over what you've given. Don't offer it to the Lord and then sit back and go, I'm not sure I like the way they're spending that money. Now listen, at the bridge, and I need to clarify this, the books are open. There's nothing that is spent here that you can't find out about if you so desire. Now I'm going to ask you, or whoever you talk to is probably going to ask you, why do you want to know? You know, make sure our hearts are in the right place. But everything that comes in and goes out in spending here, it's available. Jeff does the books, we've got the books, they're available to you. There's nothing hidden in that. But what I'm saying to you is a spiritual principle. If you give it to the Lord, it is no longer yours. It's not yours anymore. It's His. And those who take care, especially of church finances, trust me, they will be accountable to the Lord. He's going to deal with them. Churches maybe that you've been involved with in the past where you know negative things were done with the finances, guess what? The person who was in charge of that will answer to God for it. You don't have to worry about it. Isn't that wonderful? I, mean, I just give my money to the church and now it's done. It's Lord, praise you. Use it, take it. It's all yours. It's no longer mine. So the Lord says, get pure. He says, clean out the camp and confess and compensate for sin and finally come to the tabernacle of grace. Prepare yourselves. This is pretty funky. Verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, If any man's wife goes astray and is unfaithful to him, and a man has intercourse with her, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and she is undetected, although she has defiled herself, and there is no witness against her, and she has not been caught in the act, If a spirit of jealousy comes over him and he is jealous of his wife when she has defiled herself, or if a spirit of jealousy comes over him and he is jealous of his wife when she has not defiled herself, then, and it's going to go on to tell us what you do. We'll read that in a second. But you may be thinking, what in the world is this all about? Remember, the people are being called to purification. So what's up with this? It's a seemingly magical mixture. Watch this. Reading on, verse 15. Then the man shall then bring his wife to the priest and shall bring as an offering for her one-tenth of an ephah of barley meal. He shall not pour oil on it or put frankincense on it for it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of memorial, a reminder of iniquity. And then the priest shall bring her near, and have her stand before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water, holy water in an earthenware vessel. And he shall take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle, and put it into the water. The priest shall then have the woman stand before the Lord, and let the hair of the woman's head go loose and place the grain offering of memorial into her hands, which is the grain offering of jealousy, and in the hand of the priest is to be the water of bitterness that brings a curse. (laughs) It gets weirder. The priest shall have her take an oath and say to the woman, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone astray into uncleanness, being under the authority of your husband, be immune, or literally free from, from, This water of bitterness that brings a curse. If you, however, have gone astray, being under the authority of your husband, and if you have defiled yourself, and a man other than your husband has had intercourse with you, verse 20, then the priest shall have the woman swear with the oath of the curse, and the priest shall say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse, and an oath among your people, by the Lord's making your thigh waste away, and your abdomen swell. And this water that brings the curse shall go into your stomach and make your abdomen swell and your thigh waste away. And the woman shall say, "Amen, amen." And we shall say, "Huh." <laughs> Verse 23, "...the priest shall then write these curses on a scroll, and he shall wash them off into the water of bitterness, and then he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings a curse, so that the water which brings a curse will go into her and cause the bitterness." The priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand and he shall wave the grain offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the grain offering as its memorial offering and offer it up in smoke on the altar and afterward he shall make the woman drink the water. When he has made her drink the water. Then it shall come about if she has defiled herself and has been unfaithful to her husband. Then the water which brings a curse will go into her and cause bitterness and her abdomen will swell and her thigh will waste away and the woman will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, she will then be free and conceive children. This is the law of jealousy When a wife, being under the authority of her husband, goes astray and defiles herself. Or when a spirit of jealousy comes over a man. Then he's jealous of his wife. He shall then make the woman stand before the Lord, and the priest shall apply all this law to her. Moreover, the man will be free from guilt, but that woman shall bear her guilt. Weird. Strange stuff in this word. Interesting holy water holy water put into an earthen vessel ink from the curses washed off the scroll into the water it sounds like pagan magic doesn't it? it sounds like something maybe the pagan tribes or peoples in that day might have done but there's nothing magical about it if you want to check this I won't read it right now but Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 9 through 13 God absolutely forbids the practice of witchcraft or sorcery or magic of any kind this is not a magical mixture so what's going on here? This is one of those passages that if you read it and study it, you could drive yourselves nuts just trying to figure it out. Bible commentators have come down on, on two, two camps on this. One is they believe it may be psychosomatic. that when a woman's own guilt and fear of being caught and stoned to death, when she drinks this mixture, she's so upset, literally her abdomen will swell, literally she'll get a stomach ache. I don't know how it explains the fire wasting away. But she'll have physical uh, manifestations of her guilt it'll kind of come out and it'll be obvious okay she did commit adultery or some say there's a supernatural component to this in other words the Lord himself actually intervenes to bring about a curse resulting in sterility possibly even a tumor in the abdomen well which one is it? I've studied this closely I've looked at both sides of the issue I've prayed long about this during the week. And the answer is, I have no idea whatsoever. (laughs) I don't know how this works. I mean, the thigh wasting away, the belly swelling, what could that mean? Uh, It could, again, be referring to a tumor or a type of degenerative cancer. Josephus tells us that this actually could result in an ovarian tumor which could fill up with fluid up to 100 pounds, resulting in death. From Josephus Antiquities. I don't know. And what does this have to do with the third point? Come to the tabernacle of grace. I, mean, I just see husbands lining up who want an easy out to their marriage, want to just get rid of the wife, saying, hey, make her drink the stuff. <laughs> now, ladies, let me just, one, one little thing you need to understand about the husband who brought his wife. If nothing happens and she is pure, he looks like a blooming idiot for having that kind of jealousy he becomes a man walking around the camp and people are going doesn't even trust his wife and she's pure what a doofus yeah it's a good word doofus (laughs) but you may be still saying well it's still worse for the woman Especially if she's innocent Dragged before the priest Having to drink this liquid Listening to all this stuff Having to say amen, amen And be a part of this And maybe you're one of those people Who if you ever did take a lie detector test You'd fail just because you're so freaked out Even if you did nothing wrong You'd be sitting there watching the little wires And the needles go Ah, I can't do this Yes, my name is Rick No, I promise it is And the needles are going like this You know (laughs) So what's the deal here? Why is the woman brought And not the man. Listen closely, don't miss this. If the woman is caught, gang, other passages in the Mosaic Law would condemn the man as well. Both would be stoned to death. Both would bear the punishment and the guilt if the woman is caught. But still, what's the deal here? Here's the bottom line We are the woman. We are the woman. Every one of us. God always relates to, refers to His people Israel as an adulterous wife. He talks even about the church as the bride of Christ. We are the woman. This passage, I am utterly convinced, speaks to us. We are the woman and God is the jealous man. God's jealous? Absolutely He is. Exodus 34.14, He says, You shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. There is a holy and righteous jealousness about the Lord where He says, I don't want you to have anybody but Me. I don't want you to worship or serve or follow or be tied to anybody but me, I am a jealous God. We are the woman. He is the jealous God. But listen, He brings us to the tabernacle of grace. The tabernacle of grace. Consider the picture that is laid out before us. The woman comes forward, and the first thing the priest is to take hold of is an earthen vessel. An earthen vessel. What does that speak of in the Bible? But human flesh. It speaks of mankind. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4:7, "We have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God will be of God and not from ourselves." The earthen vessel then, it speaks of, indicates humanity, human flesh. But it's not just an ordinary human because this earthenware vessel is filled with notice in our Bibles, filled with holy water. Holy water. Holy water, a symbol, gang, of both the Spirit and the Word. Both are spoken of as water. Both are holy in the Scriptures. Ephesians 5.26 tells us that Jesus sanctified His church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Another reason why we study the Bible. John chapter 7 verse 38 Jesus says He who believes in me as the scripture has said from his innermost being will flow living water and John tells us by this he spoke of the Holy Spirit earthen vessel an earthen vessel filled with holy water it is a picture of Jesus Christ watch what happens Dust from the tabernacle, the words of the curse. The curse is written on a scroll and then washed into the earthen vessel, into the holy water, in the same way that Jesus absorbs our curse. He absorbs our adultery. He absorbs our unfaithfulness, our sin in our lives. He takes it into himself in the same way these words of curse go into the holy water in the vessel. We are the woman. God is the jealous husband. Jesus absorbs our curse. What about the dust from the floor of the tabernacle? In the book of John, chapter 8, you might want to turn there. Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. He's teaching at the Feast of Tabernacles, teaching, leading a Bible study, as he often did. Speaking to the people, sharing the word of God, because of course he is the word incarnate. And as he taught, watch what happens. John chapter 8, verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, we're commanded to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this testing him so they might have grounds for accursing him watch this but Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground Jesus at the feast of tabernacles is writing in the dust of the ground of the temple Just as the priests would take dust from the ground and sprinkle it into that water so now Jesus is writing in the dust of the ground what's he writing well the word is interesting Jesus wrote on the ground, the word in the Greek is katagrapho, which literally means to write against. To write against. And there are those who believe, and I would agree, that he was writing against those who brought condemnation of the woman. It's entirely likely that he's writing in the ground with his finger the very sins of the Pharisees. I almost said the parasites. The Pharisees... (laughs) brought the woman caught in adultery. He's writing in the ground and they're looking down and they're seeing their sins and going, <laughs> that's not me. No, he must be talking about you to write against. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, and I believe this is prophetically fulfilled in what Jesus is doing in John 8. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. They that depart from thee shall be written in the earth. Because they have forsaken the Lord, the fount of living waters. And remember this, gang, 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 the dust of the earth, the dust of the earth is what the serpent was cursed to eat after causing Adam and Eve, drawing them into sin. The dust of the earth, speaking of the sin, the curse of sin. But read on, verse 7 in chapter 8 of John. They persisted in asking him, and he straightened up and said to them, He who is out who is without sin, literally there, he who is without the same sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stoops down and begins to write on the ground. Is anyone among you sinless? Is anyone among you free from the guilt of this woman? He would say to those standing around. How about here? Anyone ever been unfaithful to the Lord? Anyone willing to raise their hand and say, I have been unfaithful to the Lord? Gang, we are the adulterous woman. We are the one being spoken of. This picture in John chapter 8, at the beginning of the passage here, is so powerful for so many people because we read it and recognize ourselves in the woman verse 9 going on when they heard it they began to go out one by one beginning with the older ones and when he was left alone and a woman where she was in the center of the court tells us verse 10 straightening up Jesus said to her woman where are they? did no one condemn you? she said no one Lord and Jesus said I do not condemn you either I do not condemn you adulterous woman I do not hold this against you go he says from now on sin no more and instantaneously Jesus freed the woman from her unfaithfulness he forgave her the adultery the earthen vessel filled with holy water and dust from the tabernacle took into himself the words of the curse and in Jesus' case now he pronounces the woman innocent and that's what he's done with us That's what's happened in our lives. That's where our purification truly comes from. We are the cursed woman. We are adulterous. We are unfaithful. We are without Jesus in that state. Without Jesus, our legs waste away. What do you mean? Our walk is wobbly. We can't get from here to there on our own power. Our spiritual walk literally becomes lame as we try to live outside of Christ. And our bellies swell with physical fullness. But spiritually all we can say is I am empty. I'm empty. So I try to fill up with the things of the world and try to cover up my sin and my guilt and all the problems in my life I try to run from that stuff filling my belly with anything I can to make me feel full but in the quiet of the night I recognize in my adulterous state I am as empty as they come. And I need to be filled. And there's only one who can do that. Listen to this passage. Psalm 106.13 tells us of the people of Israel and we will see this as they wander in the book of Numbers in the wilderness. They soon forgot His works. They waited not for His counsel. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And listen, He gave them their request but sent leanness Into their soul. He gave them what they wanted quail to eat, manna to stuff their fat faces with. But the one thing they needed, the one thing they hungered most for, was a fullness of God. And He said, No, I will give you all the physical stuff that you so crave, and you will be lean in your soul, and you will be empty inside until they come to that point where they say, I am the adulterous woman and I need to be filled only by you, Lord. Jesus came to change all of that leanness, to fill us up with His fullness as the verses we recently read tell us. Gang, I do believe the woman caught in adultery and brought before this lie detector test actually came under a curse in the book of Numbers. I think from the writings of Josephus and others that things actually did happen when an adulterous woman was caused to drink this water. That the belly did become swollen. That the thigh did begin to waste. But again, before you rush too quickly to her side, ladies crying, unfair, remember it wouldn't have happened if she wasn't guilty. If she wasn't guilty. the woman didn't have the adulterous affair, she would have nothing to worry about. She would be innocent. Gang, this isn't just about the old law. It's about the new law. The new law of grace in Christ Jesus. Is your walk feeling wobbly and uncertain? Could you say in a moment, it feels like my thigh is wasting away that I can't stand up for Jesus in my life. Is your belly swollen, filled up with emptiness? Then listen, then listen, O oh adulterous woman. John 1.16 tells us, For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. He has taken the curse of our unfaithfulness. He has absorbed it into Himself that we might be freed from it, that we might be freed from the waters of bitterness in our lives. Come to the tabernacle of grace. God is grace. And He loves us so much That even the filth in our lives You know the stuff that's all hidden That nobody sees this morning Stuff that you've got buried away Or tucked away Or you've left at home And you really don't think anybody knows Hey that's okay I don't have to know But the Lord does And He still He still says Come to the tabernacle of grace Come before the priest Our high priest Jesus Let Him take your sin Your unfaithfulness Let Him absorb it And unlike the woman in Numbers 5, you instead will walk away like the woman in John 8. You will walk away free, saved by the blood of the Lamb. Come to the tabernacle of
1: grace.